Hey everyone, it's Ashanti. Before we start today's show, I want to let you all know how much this community means to our team. We love hearing from you. If you've been listening for a long time, thank you. If you're new to the show, welcome. I've got a favor to ask of all of you. Too often, we get hate comments on Apple Podcasts. Our friends at Apple do a great job of removing the blatantly racist comments, but unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about the ratings. If you love this show, and if you believe in our mission, it would mean so much to us if you could leave us a five-star review and positive rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much, and now, here's the episode. Welcome back, Brown Girls, to another episode of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. Today, we are joined by Monica Simpson, who I'm really excited to talk to today. We're going to be talking about reproductive justice and the economy. Monica, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It really is an honor to be on the show with you today and to be in conversation about reproductive justice. So first tell us what brought you to doing reproductive justice work and tell us a little bit about calling it reproductive justice and some people call it reproductive freedom. What brings me to reproductive justice? You know, um, to answer that question, I have to take myself back to my hometown of Wingate, North Carolina, which is in rural North Carolina. One of those small, almost one stoplight kind of towns off of a two lane highway. And growing up in the rural South is, it's beautiful in so many ways, but it also opened my eyes to a lot at a very young age. Growing up in my community, I went to a school where there was only abstinence, only education. And so we were desperately trying to find ways to have conversations about our bodies and to to talk about the feelings and the urges that we were getting as we were growing into our adolescence. And there was no space to do that. And so we had to find those things on our own and to create community with each other and, and huddle up in spaces to try to get this information. And that to me just didn't seem right, but we were doing the best that we could. And you know, the church, the black church was an epicenter for me in my community. It's where I learned how to organize. It's where I learned how to voice. And I, I mean, there's just so much to my organizing roots that I give to the black church, right? Because it was just an important piece in my journey. However, it was also a space where, you know, we couldn't talk about bodies. It was just not the conversation that people were trying to have, but almost every young girl that was in my church and so many that were in my community that I went to school with, they were having children before graduating high school. And I'm like, it's obvious that we're doing it. It's obvious that, you know, these are conversations that we need to have and we just weren't having them. And, you know, I, I left Wingate, I went to an HBCU and came out while I was in school. And again, this was like another part of my journey of understanding my body, consent, intimacy, all the different things that come along with growing into a young adult. And again, I still felt there wasn't a lot of space to have these conversations. And I, I, I was desperately seeking those spaces and just trying to put the pieces together for myself. And so I think it's those experiences. Unfortunately, I also dealt with sexual assault in my adolescence as well. And so these experiences just all came together that, and I didn't know what the term was yet, 
But I knew that these issues were important to me and I wanted to find answers and solutions to help me and to also help, you know, those folks in my community that I cared about. And so when I put that beside, you know, reproductive justice as this movement that was started by Black women in 1994, the world starts to collide, right? Um, and so, yeah, these Black women, 12 Black women actually came together, some of which are very active in the work today, like Loretta Ross and Dr. Tony Bond. Abel Mabel Thomas here in Georgia, that these Black women came together to create a framework that was more expansive and when thinking about our reproductive lives in this country. And they brought together social justice and reproductive health and rights to talk about the intersectionality of our lives as Black women and to have an organizing frame that allowed us to really talk about the myriad of issues, right, that we deal with when we are making our decisions about our reproductive lives. And so this framework, was developed in 1994 by those women, and now it is led by women of color all across this country today, right, where we are all fighting for the human right to have the children that we want in the ways that we want, to prevent and end pregnancies without shame and with dignity, to be able to parent our children in healthy and safe environments, right? So we that we, we can already see the intersections of our work in terms of, you know, making sure our our we're not being plagued by, you know, environmental issues that are making our water unclean or police brutality. And we think about the rising rates of maternal mortality in this country. And ultimately, you know, this work is really about our human right to bodily autonomy, to make our own decisions about our bodies, therefore our lives. And so that's what reproductive justice is. It's the work. It's my political home. It's where I feel whole and complete. And those experiences, again, of growing up is that country girl in Union County is what really brought me to this work. And I didn't know that there was a movement waiting for me, but it was. I also think it's important, you know, just to add on to that a little bit, when thinking about being able to prevent and end pregnancies without shame and with dignity, I think it's important for Black women to be able to say the word abortion and for it not to make people clutch their pearls, right? As if we have not always controlled our own fertility, as if we don't have the right to make our own decisions about our bodies, as if we should not be trusted to make our own decisions. And so this work around abortion access in this country is very important and so central and critical to the work of reproductive justice because we do know how empowering it is, right, whenever one has the ability to make their own decisions and how important it is to make sure that Black women in particular have that human right to do that in this country and for us not to be shamed or to be just shunned because we're making this decision. So. Yeah, I just had to dig in a little bit more on that to just pull that out because I just think it's time for us to be able to say the word abortion in this country and for us not to, when we say that, to feel as if we are standing there with, you know, all these heads on our neck, right? It is a part of healthcare. Abortion is, a, is healthcare. It is. It's a part of reproductive healthcare. And so we just have to talk about it as such. And so, yeah, I just think it's important for us to be able to name that explicitly too, and to not see that as a separate issue when thinking about the work, because reproductive justice doesn't pull it apart as a separate issue. It is a part of all of what we need to be able to live healthy, reproductive lives. Mm, I love that story. And I really appreciate it, too, how you talked about the freedom to not have a family. And that's something that we don't hear a lot of people say all the time. And even when you do hear women say it, know, especially Black, Brown, Indigenous women say it, people are like, what do you mean you're not having children? And 
Thank you so much for saying that. And I want to dive a little bit into Sister Song. Can you tell us a little bit about how it was created, its formation, and the wonderful work that you do there? Yeah. So 97 is the year. (laughs) You know, picture it, 1997. I was graduating high school. Don't want to age myself too much, but I was. And at that time, there were these amazing organizations across what they called at the time many communities of Native American, Indigenous women, Black women, Latinas, and Asia Pacific Islander women. These were kind of like the, the original kind of many communities that came together to think about what a national collective structure would look like and what would be possible for them to actually work together across cultures, across race, across all of that to really think about reproductive justice in this more expansive social justice, human rights rooted frame. And so Sister Song was started as that national collective to really do that work, right? Bringing all of those different communities together, but also giving a national platform and a national voice to these communities that unfortunately did not always get the microphone, so to speak, when thinking about the larger white mainstream organizations that were and feminist-based organizations that were leading repro health rights conversations, policy, and all of that at the time. And so there needed to be this national structure that gave women of color, people of color, the opportunity to be able to move their work, their experiences, their needs to the center. And that's what Sister Song was created to do. And so our mission is really to amplify the voices, the experiences and the expertise of communities of color and women of color doing this work around our lives, our reproductive lives. And um, we further define reproductive justice in our work, you know, as the human right to have the children that we want in the ways that we want. And so we bring in the birth justice aspect of the work, maternal health, all of that, to be able to prevent or end pregnancies without shame and with dignity, to be able to make those decisions for ourselves, right? The human right to parent our children in healthy and safe environments. So we get to talk about the importance of environmental justice, economic justice here, all the things that are necessary for us to be able to have families that are thriving in this country. And ultimately, it's about the human right to bodily autonomy. So we get to talk about sexual health and and access to comprehensive sex education and all of those things that make it, that are so necessary, rather, for us to be able to to live self-determined lives in this country. And so Sister Song, we are a national trainer. um, And so we've been taking this training across this country and the globe now for well over two decades. And, you know, this this framework has really helped to shift and create a culture shift, actually, in the region productive health and rights spaces as to how we talk about our work. Um, We're also a national convener. And so we convene at the state, the regional and the national level, um, helping to really grow and expand this movement and the work of the other organizations amazing organizations doing work across this country. Um, We are committed to arts and culture in this country, in in, in this country, yes, and in our organization. Um, And so we use it as a, a very important tool to how we talk about our issues and also reduce stigma. Um, we're committed to birth justice. We have a fund that we are helping to like make sure families are taken care of. So our work goes across many different areas. But ultimately, um, as this collective, we are been, we've been using our membership right as a membership organization as our driving tool to help us really move the work that really reflects the needs of the communities that we're serving. So it, it's been a beautiful part of my life. Now I've been with Sister Song for ten years, and I can't imagine doing any other work. <laughs> to be you quite are doing honest. it all and your passion comes through. And one of the things I want to talk about is with the pandemic, we're about to enter year two. We know it has had a profound impact on the economy. 
And I don't think yes. it shocked anyone when we saw the majority of the job losses were women, especially we know women yeah. of color are so hard hit. How are you seeing the impact on the economy, COVID, and the work that you're doing in communities of color? I mean, it has had devastating effects, right, on our communities. Before we even went into a pandemic, right, if we're just looking at Black women alone, Black women were only making 63, 64 cents on the dollar to white men, right? So we were already dealing with economic <laughs> inequality um, to begin with, right? And that looks so different across a, a lots of dis different cultures and races, right? Um, and so then you add a pandemic on top of that, and it has just... The stories that we're getting from folks on the ground who are coming to us because of our birth justice fund, because they just need bare necessities to take care of their families. These are women who are coming to us who are pregnant because people are still getting pregnant in a pandemic, right? That is still a thing. Needing to make sure they have access to doulas and midwives and birth care and all of that. Then we have on top of that, you know, folks who are still needing to get access to their contraception, still needing to have abortions, like all of, none of that stops because we're in the midst of a pandemic. And so when we see the impact that this pandemic has had on the economy and it has taken you know, so many people's jobs for them to be able to get access to the services that they need. That has become a huge, 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 huge issue for folks in our community. And so we've had to really rev up the work that we do with our abortion funds, rev up the mutual aid efforts that we are seeing now that so many of our organizations are doing, including Sister Song, because people are literally in need of basic everyday things just to live their lives. And so that, that that's huge. And then we're also thinking about folks who came into this pandemic, pushing off, you know, starting a family, thinking about their career first, and then wanting to think about starting a family later. And it's pushed people back even further. Folks are really questioning, what does it even mean now to start a family? It's making people think differently and contemplate pregnancy, all of these different things so differently because of this pandemic. People are scared to think about being pregnant in a pandemic. People are scared to think about starting a family because of lack of job security. So we, we, we see these issues just like just accumulating every single day. And, and what we've been trying to do is to just meet people where they are at to make sure that folks have access to what they need right now. And, you know, we are also thinking very long term about what does it mean for organizations like us, these reproductive justice organizations to be thinking five, 10, 20 years down the road to think about what impact this pandemic has had on us. And then how do we then need to really create the, the organizing structures and all that's necessary for us to be able to like help people see the other side of this. And what does that other side even look like? Right. So that's what we see coming right now. It's just like really trying to meet people where they are because the basic needs of folks, folks are just really, really in need. That basic needs for me, I know the majority of my personal giving has shifted to donations to provide those basic needs because my heart breaks whenever I read a story of moms who are arrested mm. for shoplifting diapers or women who aren't even having yeah. the products that they need for when it's that time of the month. It's, it's heartbreaking. So I know that's where I have made my shift. So thank you and Sister Song for everything that you do. And you talked about the other side of this. We know there is going to be another side of this. We are, yes, we're <laughs> we gonna are get starting there. to see it. <laughs> we are recording this the day after the Senate passed the COVID package. What are, and it was mm -hmm. also Vice President Harris's first time breaking a tie. 
So that was also really cool to see her in that position. What are some of your hopes that you would like to see come out of this package, particularly when it comes to reproductive justice, but also communities of color, Mm. again, who have suffered, continue to suffer the most during this pandemic? Yeah, I think it's, I'm I'm glad to see that this is moving forward. It absolutely was amazing to see the decision that was made to put President Biden and Vice President Harris into office, like what that really means for us. Like we got to see what that looked like, exactly what you said. That also raises flags for me, right? Because it's just like, we are really dealing with an administration that is really split. And so when thinking about how we need folks to move and like how fast will things move for the people, that is a concern, right? But but I am hopeful about the fact that we have a structure that will at least lean towards the ways in which we need it to for folks to be able to get what they need. And so seeing this particular package come forward, I'm really hopeful about these stimulus packages and like really getting more money into people's homes, into the hands of the folks who need to, of course, take care of their basic needs and to make sure that their health care is um, intact, to make sure they have everything that they need to be able to, to continue to live healthy lives and have healthy families. I think that's really, really important. I also think it's important. I think the conversation around um, the money that is going into um, small businesses and all of that to make sure that we are giving a boost The money that is going into small businesses and all of that to make sure that we are giving a boost to the economy is going to be is going to have a huge impact. Because, again, like we said earlier, the folks who lost their jobs the most and and we see just in staggering numbers are women. And so when we think about that boost going back into the communities that and, and into businesses, that means for me that more women get to go back to work, more mothers get to go back to work, more people get to go back to work to be able to take care of themselves and their families. So I'm really hopeful about what that means. And so I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, because I'm, I'm part of the people too. I get to do this work. It's a privilege to do this work, but I'm also a mm-hmm. part of the people <laughs> on the ground. And what is important right now is that p- people see action like immediate action. This is not the time for our administration to be in such deep deliberation about how folks need to be taken care of. This is just basic human rights kind of stuff, right? It's not science. This is not something that we should have to have study boards and all these things about. People are in need. People are dying. Communities are being devastated by this pandemic. So I think what I'm even more hopeful about is that This administration is getting more and more clear that they can't drag their feet, that people are in need and that and they need to act as if they know that their people are in need. The very people who put them in those positions of power, that those are the very people that need the the support. And so they got to make that thing happen. And I think we have a great diverse new class of folks who have entered into this administration. So I'm, I'm hopeful about what they are going to actually create I am too. And I was telling someone, I really think that it's divine timing that we have all of these women of color in Congress at this time, but women of color who come from the community, who know what it's like to struggle, to have student debt, to deal with homelessness, and the fact that they don't hide it that they're authentic about it. I feel we're absolutely going to see that in the policies that they create. But I also think it's so important because it's letting all the other women who are just like them, who don't come from what we consider to be the perfect candidate background, that they are the perfect candidate, that they can be the candidate. 
And keeping with Vice President Harris for a bit, she was a champion for maternal yes. health. Sister Song, Absolutely. you champion maternal health. What are some of the policies that yes. you would like to see come out of Congress? Yeah, you know, I think that we still have to put a lot of work into handling the maternal mortality crisis in this country, right? And I think that there are very proactive ways that we can work towards that. I think that we have to think about at the state level, our mater maternal mortality review boards. I think we have to start moving more money, more funding into these state budgets, into the federal budget that really helps us keep maternal mortality as a major issue that we have to take control of and because we can literally eradicate that. I really want to see more emphasis going in on how we can really work with Congress to help us understand, help them understand, right? What black women in particular who are dying at the most staggering rates of maternal mortality, what they're dealing with as it pertains to this medical industrial complex that we talk about in our social justice work. And how unfortunately, the very same thing that we saw as a failed coup on January 6th in terms of like the ways that white supremacy shows up in this country, white supremacy is also very real in our okay. medical system. And that is impacting the ways that people are getting care. It's impacting the ways that people are being able to take, to feel like they're being heard while they're getting their care. And we've heard too many stories of women who have almost lost their life or have lost their life because they just weren't listened to, because they weren't trusted. And I think that, that we have to think of, we have to figure out those ways that we actually bridge that gap. And I think that that's going to take elected officials to help us make that happen. I also think that we have to think about some very bare bones work of how do we make sure that birth workers that we get more black women birth workers in this country. We know the data tells us that when black women feel seen, feel safe, feel secure in their pregnancy, that they get the better outcomes, the birth outcomes. And so that means that we need more black birth workers who are funded, who have access, you know, to be able to show up and be in our communities. Um, we need to re we need to invigorate that, like bring that back. And we need to make sure that there's like insurance that, that makes that happen for people, that this isn't something that people have to pay for out of their pockets, but this is something that is afforded to them because that we, we live in a country that wants to see black women, healthy black women having healthy babies and creating healthy families. Like that's what, those are some of the things that we're really working towards. And we work very closely in partnership with the Black Mamas Matter Alliance. They are a really important partner of theirs. They're an important partner to us. And so we also lean on them a lot too, because they are really a driving force for this policy change at the national and state level too. So we work in partnership all the time. Um, and I think it's going to take us not only working in partnership at the grassroots level, the ways that we do is going to take us working in partnership with these elected officials to help them understand these issues better so that they can make the best decisions possible for us and move the best policies for us. Monica, thank you so much for joining us. For this amazing conversation before we let you go we're going to yeah. look towards the future we're four years down the road mm. biden harris they're wrapping Ooh. up their first term we're past the pandemic yes. what are your uh, hopes what would you like to see come out of this mm. administration for the reproductive justice movement for the social justice movement <sighs> where would you like to see us you know i would like to see some of these very ridiculous laws that we have just that that we know need to be off the books. They need to be gone. The Hyde Amendment needs to be gone. Helms, gone. gone all of those gone. things, just gone, gone, gone. Just just taking, going straight down the list and marking them all off. So at the end of that, I want to see those things gone. It's not even something that we're dealing with anymore. Um, Market shredded. Just finished. 
It is, it is finished, right? Delete. Oh, I, I want us to, to be in a country where this, where our health care isn't something that we're always debating, but that health care for all is something that is a way of life for us in this country. And that when we talk about health care, we're not putting abortion access on the side. It's not something we're putting on the side. All this abstinence only education that is just like taking over the South and so many other places in this country. I want us to have work with our people to get that gone. We need comprehensive sex education so we can set our children up for success. They can make better decisions. They can be able to take care of themselves and their bodies better. Like we need to be thinking about the future in that way. And that is just one way that we can start to do that. So I want that gone. I don't want people to feel like we need to be scared to say the things that we want to say anymore. We can just call it what it is. And that, and I also just want to see more people from the ground moving into these positions, you know, these elected officials positions. Like I think, again, this, this, this new Congress and the new folks who have come in, I'm all the way here for it. Got some good homies in there. And I want to see more people, you know, taking on these positions and moving into positions within this administration that will help us move our work forward. Like, I just want to see a complete sea change. And I think it's possible. Um, and I think that we, we show what it looks like when people on the ground stand firm in their people power. We saw what it looked like in Georgia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hello, we yes. are blue, baby. Um, so I think we could just, yes, Stacey Abrams, come on, right? So we know what it looks like. And I think that in four years, if we keep this momentum, if we, re- if we just keep these victories that we have as our forward step, that we will start to see the world that we want to live in that is inclusive, that is just, that is loving, that is providing, you know, a space for everyone to feel like their human rights are actually seen, validated, heard. Like that's really what I'm hoping for. So I'm going to keep pushing that because that's what I do. And I hope that that's what it looks like in four years because that's what I want to (laughs) see. Love it. I want to see it too. Monica, We appreciate you. Thank you for everything that you you. do every day. It was wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an amazing um, podcast and I cannot wait to talk about it with everybody. (laughs) We can't wait for you to, too. Wait, we can't wait for you to, too. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much for your podcast. For more information on the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, You can check us out at thebgguide.com and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at thebgguide. The Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast is produced by WonderMia Network, and you can find them at wondermianetwork.com. Tune into the next episode where we will discuss the Supreme Court cases that are on the horizon. Until next time, Brown Girls. Most Americans know firmly where they stand on reproductive rights. But how did we get here? How did abortion become one of the most contentious political debates in the United States? That's where Ordinary Equality comes in. From our friends at Wonder Media Network, Ordinary Equality co-hosts Jamia Wilson and Kate Kelly are unpacking the history of abortion from the views of the Founding Fathers to Roe v. Wade all the way to present day. They're seeking to understand why everything related to women's rights does indeed seem to come back to abortion and how abortion access is tied to our fundamental rights and freedoms even more than you think. Listen and subscribe to Ordinary Equality wherever you listen to your podcasts.